Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Today I'm here with Rich Mancuso, the author of Asking for a Friend. And this is the second time on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I, I love, I, as I know I said this before, but I love the idea that you're doing this in the closet. You got the clothes behind you. Like, it really, it's just a great analogy. I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then um, I think that another important thing, well, something that's pretty cool about this is just being able to talk about it. And like, this is a safe space for us to talk while I'm in the closet and you're in what looks like your bedroom, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this is where the magic doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, yeah, we could just have this kind of a discussion because it's an uncomfortable topic for people. Um, living with herpes, or even if you don't have herpes, you can be, it can be really uncomfortable to talk about yeah. stuff that you don't really have experience with, or if you are someone who has experience with it, you know, there's still the whole thing surrounding shame and guilt that may hinder your ability to really effectively communicate with another person. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about here is the communication aspect um, what was the title of the article, the blog post that you recently published? So it's it's called Heads or Tails in Between the Trivial and the Tragic of Herpes. And it was really an attempt to do a uh, thought experiment. Like most of the things on the articles that I'm writing now are pretty much thought experiments. To, just to get people to think and to consider things and to actually maybe even start a conversation within themselves and say, hey, you know, I never looked at it that way. It could be possibly something to lead me into getting better about myself or getting a better perspective. And that's really what this is all about. It's about your perspective. So if you have, if you put herpes in the proverbial two-sided coin, you have heads on one side, you have tails on the other. You have people on one side who suffer, and then you have on the other side people who don't suffer. So that really changes perspectives. And I think we sometimes forget that each person on each side of that coin can have a very different perspective. So when we start talking about certain words and phrases and we try to explain things to other people, either people who don't have herpes or we're trying to explain it to people who are just newly diagnosed and are completely inconsolable, we sometimes use words that may not be the best thing for it. Yeah. And to add to what you're saying with the words and the terminology, um, there's a lot of miscommunication there from one side to the other and what it sounds like we're trying to do here is just bridge the gap and by challenging the thoughts of one side of that coin um, we're able to allow them to see into what the other side of the coin looks like and vice versa right right so it's it's funny too because i was just talking with somebody about it and uh, they said well you know it sounds like you're trying to say that your way is the only way and that's not what i'm trying to do trying this exactly i'm so glad you understood that i'm trying to bridge the gap between two different sides mm -hmm. because if you're on one side of the bridge and somebody's on the other side these are two, two totally different territories well i and think that's our way of thinking collectively is very binary it's this or that and the two sides of the coin is great for yes no but there's we, we can't ignore the fact that there's this whole gray area, which we don't have to get into. But while it's you either suffer or you don't suffer in between that, there's how often you suffer, what kind of suffering it is. Yeah, and exactly. Just, and, it, and, you know, those perspectives are they're valid. Yes. So one person could say, listen, it's not a big deal to me. It's not it's just a rash. It's not, you know, for them, you know, for somebody who doesn't suffer. 
you know, they get like maybe one bump or they don't even get anything. Of mm-hmm. course, their perception is going to be it's not a big deal. Oh, yeah. But for somebody who actually suffers from this and they get outbreaks, you know, how can how can this just be a rash if I'm suffering with this giant sore on my genitals for two weeks and I feel like I'm sitting in acid? Yeah. So the, one of the biggest takeaways from this is that the when I originally wrote the article and I started posting it, is that I immediately was removed from a couple of groups. And come to find out the reason why was because some people were saying is that it was scaring newbies, which means scaring new people who were just diagnosed. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand that, but there's also part of it where we have to be able to discern the difference between fact and fiction. And we can still uh, communicate and talk to people in a very different way when they're first diagnosed we don't have to hit them with facts we don't have to hit them with you know all the gory details there's a way to do it but i think if we are going to possibly placate people and say listen it's not a rash it's not a big deal but it may be a big deal for them so when we talk about interrupting we're interrupting the five stages of grief with some people this doesn't always apply to everybody but if we're going to interrupt the five stages of grief we're interrupting the denial we're interrupting the anger we're interrupting the bargaining and depression and we're trying to force people to get all the way into acceptance and after talking with psychologists and therapists and uh, so many other people it just seems to me that doing saying certain words and phrases sometimes doesn't always help and it makes it worse so like if you were just newly diagnosed um as an example, uh, a gentleman called me not too long ago, and he was inconsolable. Inconsolable, just upset, not knowing how to function, just suicidal. So for me to give him facts, it's not, it's not a good time to do that, right? That's, that's not the time and a place to do it. But it's also not the time and a place for me to say, listen, it's not a big deal. It's, not, it's just a rash. It's just, it's, don't even worry about it. When you say things like that, you interrupt their process to heal and you're dismissing their pain we have to allow people to feel things it's okay to feel like this is a big deal because you know what it may not be a big deal in a couple of months you may never see another outbreak ever again yeah so there's there's some good sides to it there's some bad sides to it but i just think we need to be more cognizant of what we're saying to people and be able to empathize with them but also not scare the crap out of them as well yeah. And timing is everything with this as well. So there are cases where, you know, you, you want to help someone and presenting them with facts, presenting them with your own personal experience is useful at the right time. But out of the gate, I would think that the most important thing you can do for somebody is listen because then you're aware of where they are and then you can meet them there and then you know, oh, okay, this person needs to vent. They need someone who's going to just listen to them. And then in that listening, you cannot, you can pinpoint exactly what the problem is because there's someone who could have had children with someone and been with them for years and years and just never saw this coming. And then they pinpoint that they've been abused, abused or something, something, there's something in there that also needs to be addressed that can, if you're trying to communicate with this person and help them solve their problems, then everything you say can go clean over their head 
if you don't know exactly what it is that they're actually trying to say because it gets expressed through those stages of grief through that emotion that's coming out and we just got to be conscious and able to catch that and listen and hear that yeah yeah you know it's just i was just actually looking up i'm actually posting it right now you know it's the descriptions of the five stages um like anger for instance you know in order to get through you have to allow yourself to be angry and i thought that was a very interesting point so i think many of us have been in that stage whether it's herpes related or not and the the unfortunate side effect of herpes is that herpes as a disease or an infection is just as fickle as our own personal opinions and i think it's just a matter of being able to keep having these conversations to bridge that gap to where we can get one side to say okay i understand what you're saying it may not be the good thing for me right now but i understand what you're saying and i understand that it's not a rash and it's not a skin condition but i'm not ready to get there yet and eventually i will so it's a matter of planting seeds instead of just telling people don't worry about it it's okay you're going to be fine yeah. which is which is okay but if you're if you're going to halt part of that, that stage of grief for somebody you're interrupting that process mm-hmm. and i think everything that i've been reading and again i'm not a psychologist and i'm not a doctor neither but, am i <laughs> yeah but but all the things that i'm reading and talking to therapists and talking to psychologists there's there's it's something that definitely needs to be considered and i think if we can get on a everybody on some sort of page to where we can stop telling people things that we're not really too sure about yeah and save some of the other stuff for later unfortunately i i don't see that happening in this lifetime and at at all i I just don't um there's a lot of different there are a lot of different people who have um influence a following who have the capability of coming together with other influencers and people who have communities of the people who come to them for herpes-related information. But for whatever reason, I mean, we're talking about everywhere. So, like, there are other people outside of Facebook that I've connected with who are open to coming together, but it only works when everyone wants to do it because somehow you're going to end up with this whole binary thing where it's me versus you. And it's like my side, your side, or me. It's what I believe, what everybody else believes. But just like you said, you know, if we're looking at this from a binary standpoint, it's uh, two people coming together to bridge a gap. Like there's a whole bridge there, but there's other ways to cross the other side. You know, you can take uh, the air, (laughs) you can fly over, you can swim over, build the boat, build the plane. So there's this whole space of just awareness that is completely untapped into unless you're looking for it and it almost seems like from a binary angle we've got the complete lack of awareness of what else there is if that makes sense i'm saying a lot and i'm trying to use a lot of metaphors here but ultimately what i'm saying in its simplest form is we're never going to be on the same page unless there comes a point where upcoming generations are Uh, The parents, the people who have herpes now are open with the upcoming generations about what is going to happen, like the inevitability of coming into contact with herpes. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to happen. And I tell people this all the time in 
most people who end up texting me or calling me and they're like, I don't know what to do. How did I get this? And it's like, look, you're a human being. You know, herpes is, um, it's been around for as long as we've been around. Yeah, man. So hundreds of thousands of years. It's, it's a part of who we are. So if you've made it up until a certain age and you, you, you don't have it and now you have it, it was just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. So unless you're going to live on, a, on an island somewhere in the middle of nowhere and never touch another human being ever again, you're going to get it. So, yeah, I mean, some things, you know, that's that's part of acceptance. You know, that that's not always something that works. Uh, it does help some people here and there. I've had conversations with people and they were just like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in a situation where it's like, yeah, you're coming to me with that. That sounds good. And as factually supported as that statement is, I don't want to hear that shit. I just got herpes. Like, according, like, I'm not going to have sex again. Uh, I'm not going to find a partner. Then ultimately, that's what it is. That's where it goes. No other person is going to want to have intimate contact with me when I'm newly diagnosed. And here you are telling me, oh, well, you're eventually going to get it. I'm not trying to hear that shit. So, like, what do you say to someone, you know, who's at that stage? Right. And you don't know. And the person you're talking to, you don't know where they are. Yeah. Because there's, listen, don't, don't, people listening to this and watching this, you know, don't, don't get us wrong here. There are some people that hear this diagnosis and they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I know people who have it. Uh, I'll be okay. And you know what? That's fantastic. But on the other side, we have people who are said the same exact thing as you're saying. Like, I, that's, that's not helping. Like, I need to get through this. Like, I'm never going to be able to touch another human being ever again. This is insane. How do I get through this? Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think we're ever going to solve the issue. I think there's always going to be infighting within groups. Well, um, you you kind of hit the nail on the head with your earlier statement when there's someone who's diagnosed who already knows someone that they can come to. So since doing the podcast, and I was doing it for a while before I put it out there that, oh, this is me doing it and let the people around me know. And there have been people since then who have come to me and been like, I have herpes. What do I do? Or someone someone was able to refer someone who confided in them that they had herpes and be like, Hey, there's this guy. He has his podcast. Check it out. Like he may be able to help you more than I can. So I think that it's important for us to really be there for uh, others. But the only way to do that is to risk putting ourselves out there for people to know that we have herpes and know that they can come to us in the event that they have herpes. But it, it's a completely different mindset when you're able to leave from a diagnosis and you have someone to call who has been dealing with exactly what it is that you're dealing with versus leaving and wondering, oh, my God, who can I call? I'm alone. It's just me. Well, that that that. In- that infers the next step. So when you're first diagnosed, all of a sudden you're on the internet, right? You're typing away. You're going nuts on the internet. Is there a cure? What can I do? And then bam, pop, pop, pop. All these things pop up out of nowhere. You know, there's all this snake oil you can buy that's going to cure your herpes, which of course is bullshit. We know that. But for somebody who's just been diagnosed, who knows nothing about it, they are bombarded with all of this material. So, which adds to the confusion. And then you have, again, we, we go back to words and phrases where this becomes important. You know, they're saying, oh, it's just a rash. It's just this. And then they're like, oh, my God, but I just looked up all these facts. And it's not that. 
I'm confused. So the fact that we're having these conversations and we're putting ourselves out there, and we were just actually just talking about that because we're not seeing too many men doing this. Yeah. We, see, we, seem, we seem to see a lot of women doing this, and women, women have this intrinsic power to uh, capture the commitment of something, and I just wish more people in our community had that, that uh, energy to do that. Yeah. I'm glad that you and I are there, but to caveat off of what you were saying, it's like, yeah, you know, we have to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it comes back to listening because we can talk about things all day, but we're not able to really come to a conclusion unless we're able to listen. Like you and I are able to sit here and listen to one another and then provide feedback. And I can tell the way you sit there, the way like you're looking at me, the way that when you talk, I'm like, not thinking about the next thing that I'm going to say. And we're able to come together with like some kind of uh, practical next step statement. So with that being said, you know, we're looking at it's my side versus your side. So the only way for us to really bridge that gap is by being able to really listen to one another. I I can tell that you have had conversations with people to where they already have it in their head. The next thing that they're going to say and they're not even listening to a damn thing that you're saying. Yes. And trust me, <laughs> I know this so well because I'll be talking to somebody and they're so upset with the situation, but they just they just really and like you said listening is important because they have so much they want to get off their chest they're not even listening to what you're saying. And sometimes it's good to just be a sounding board. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't you don't always win in that in that in that instance and by winning I mean helping that person. Yeah. But sometimes if you can just be a sounding board for somebody and just let them, you know, verbally vomit everything that's on their mind, sometimes that can help even better. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it's a matter of at least at least we're doing something. Yeah. And for anyone who's listening to this who may not have an STI, for someone who may be on the fence about dating someone, for someone who came across this podcast because of the title and finally got here and been like, oh, positive people, meaning STIs, STDs, not happy, uplifting people. Um, yay, I have herpes, yay. Right? <laughs> so how, do, how does someone who is negative for STIs support someone who has tested positive for an STI? Herpes, we'll, we'll stick with herpes in particular. So I'm newly diagnosed and I tell my friend who doesn't have herpes or doesn't know that they don't have herpes, how is that person able to best support me or how are they able to help bridge this gap in communication? Yeah. And, it's, and it's all a matter of just changing that perspective. So your friend who you're, who you're talking about, whoever that may be, may have the perception of as 80 80 million people on the planet, you know what I mean? 100 million people, who knows? All the people that went to grade school and they saw all those nasty videos in health class. So they may already have this perception that only dirty people get herpes. Yeah. And only Johns and hookers and, and all these other people are the only ones who get herpes. And then when they hear that you had it, it's like, oh, you must have done something wrong. Well, that perception is clearly incorrect. It only takes one time to get it. And most of the people that I've spoken with are people who have gotten it from somebody that was their boyfriend, somebody that was their girlfriend or their partner, somebody that they wanted to spend the rest of their life with. Mm-hmm. So it, somebody who was 18 who had sex for the first time, you know, that's not somebody that was sleeping around with a hundred different people and not that uh, prom- promiscuity is, uh, it's not, a, it's not a great way to 
reduce the risk. It, it is a way that kind of increases the risk a little bit, but it's not the only way to get herpes. And again, you don't need sex to get herpes. We know this now. So if you have all of these perceptions that are going on, it's so hard to change that, especially when you are saying to your friend, yeah, I have it. I haven't had it for that long. I just got it. Or you're somebody who's had it for 20 something years like myself. And I say this to somebody and they're like, immediately in their head, they're like, ew. And they just, they don't know anything else. So now we have to sit there and say, well, listen, times have changed. It's 2018. There's a lot more information out there. And guess what? There's a very good chance you may have been exposed to it and don't even know it. I'm not saying you have it, but yeah, yeah. there's a very good chance that you may. So this perception that you have isn't exactly accurate. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of, it's a matter of having these conversations and really opening up the door to the closet that you're stuck in. Yeah. <laughs> And while we're on, while we're talking about the closet, you know, the reason I asked that question the way that I did is because I've seen how the LGBTQ community has dealt with stigma, um, HIV being a gay disease. And I talked to someone from uh, Positive Directions who we're going to have on the podcast soon, and um, they were saying how, you know, in the gay community, HIV, well, he didn't specifically say this, I'm sorry, um, in the gay community hiv is prevalent for gay males and i went to the pride parade there were pride festivities here in st louis recently i went and i saw that there were so many different std testing sites they would come get tested for hiv here and there were one two there were four at least one when i walked in one when i hit the corner so at every corner literally there was an hiv testing site so it's like this is how they chose to deal with the stigma is by becoming aware it's like okay you know if HIV is prevalent among gay males, then we can make us we can make sure that everyone's aware of their status. We can get people treated. We can keep it to where we're able to manage this virus. Um, there's the medications that uh, lower your viral load to undetectable and keeps uh, partners from contracting uh, HIV. And it's like, why we? What do we have to do to do something like that? And even yeah. at the parade, at the festivities, there were so many people there who were clearly not. I mean, you wouldn't know if they were gay or these were people who were allies of the community. So sure. how is it that? Why why can't we get allies as people? Yeah, with why can't we capture the commitment of this situation? And it's because the stigma is so huge on herpes. And it's, it's so funny you brought up testing. I And obviously, if, I don't know if you remember or not, but I spoke about it in the book. And I said, you know, the CDC literally states on their website that they do not recommend testing for herpes on people who are asymptomatic because it does not change the behavior of the patient. So you have people who end up getting tested and they're like, yeah, you have herpes, but it's not active. So the doctors aren't telling people like, you know, you should be aware of this or not this or you should tell people. They don't tell anybody. So, you know, there's this disconnect. So if we were able to do the same thing as the HIV community and have more testing and more awareness, that would be a great way to start putting a dent in the stigma. Because mm-hmm. if you're testing everybody, now all of a sudden the conversation changes, right? So more and more people are getting tested and more and more people are like, oh my God, I have type one or I have type two or I have both and I didn't even know it. Now it becomes less and less of a thing. 
less and less of a thing. And if you start taking that power away, the stigma starts to die. Yeah. Now, whether or not we're going to get there some days, like you said, who the hell knows? Yeah. But it's it's definitely a fight worth talking about. I came across this uh, podcast I was listening to on NPR. I forget exactly which show it was, but there was an experiment done. And I think that this is very interesting and something important to point out about human behavior. Uh, this is the first I heard this, the ostrich effect. So people, uh, there was a college and I could be butchering what actually happened. Yeah, here, that's okay. But what it was, was um, there was an experiment with college students. They were in a room, they had their blood drawn already as a part of this study. And after the blood had been drawn, they came back and said, hey, um, we can, we tested you for herpes or we're going to test you for herpes and you can opt out of knowing what the results are for $10 or we can go and throw the blood away. And a significant number of college students were willing to pay $10 to not know what, whether or not they had herpes than they were to find out. Now, mind you, blood has already been drawn. They were more willing to allow this blood to just be poured down the sink than know what their uh, herpes status was and pay $10 not to know. $10 in college, to me, was like $1,000 now as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's enough to eat all week. Exactly. So it's just like yeah. that, get, that gives you an idea of where we are as a society that we would rather just not know. Not the majority of us would rather not know, but uh, the people who, there, there's just people who would rather not know. The ostrich effect is very real. It's a stick in your head in the sand. I would rather not know. And it's so funny because I had a, I got together with the guys from high school, which I like to do once in a while. We play cards. And uh, some of the guys wanted to buy some books. And uh, a friend of mine got one and he read it. And he said, he goes, you know, this this is great, but I still don't want to know. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, I I'm married. I got kids. I got all this stuff going on. And I seem to be doing fine. But I just, it scares me. I yeah. don't want to know. And in this podcast episode, they said that um, we should always be willing to hear information about our health and our finances. You, you would think that would be, especially your health, your own health, that should be important. But out of sight, out of mind, man, people, they just, they don't want to know. Yeah. And so that makes it challenging for us to, even if we were to put together parades supporting people who have herpes and have booths set up for herpes testing for people to know what their status is, no one's going to use them. <laughs> the people who need them aren't going to use them. It would be me, you, and about five other people. It's, and it's, it's unfortunate, but that, again, is just a reality that we live in. And where everyone who, well, let me not say everyone, more of the people who have been diagnosed have real experience with what it means to have herpes, yet it's challenging for us to get real information together because it risks other people finding out or there's that whole aspect of shame where we may not want to participate in focus groups or studies in fear of our name being out there and someone finding out and then just judging us or looking at us differently. You know, Dr. Brene Brown did, uh, she did her thesis and she's, she's actually well known and she talks about shame. And if, if anybody 
has time to actually go look it up. It's on YouTube. Just type in Dr. Brene Brown and shame. It is definitely worth the 10 minutes to watch this woman talk about shame. And she said that shame is the feeling of, uh, of not being loved or being unworthy of being loved. And I thought that was really important to understand because to caveat back to a conversation we said before is that most people, their, their first concern is like, I got this now and I'm never going to be able to find somebody to be with. So that is a huge weight on people's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And then to top it off with the fear of people finding out and being ostracized for having something, which is completely insane. We don't ostracize people for having cancer or HIV, but herpes, yeah. they're ostracized for. And you and I know this. We're on social media. We get, you know, I just, somebody, again, told me the only way I was ever going to get rid of herpes is if I tied in a fire. I mean, <laughs> people. I mean, you can drown, too. I mean, it doesn't have to be fire. <laughs> But um, drowning, drowning would probably be a lot more pleasant than burning. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a fan of Brene Brown's work. Uh, she was on Oprah's podcast. I listened to Super Soul Conversations. Oh, she was yeah, on there great. for a two part episode about shame. And so I can relate to what you're saying, you know, significantly. Yeah. Um, another thing is with the stigma itself, we also said that we wanted to touch on this. Uh, I'm coming into contact with a lot of relationship um, relationship therapists, um, sex educators, people who work in the sex positive community. And when I speak with them about their work, a lot of this has to do with sexual shame. So in society, there's a lack of knowledge. So we're already dealing with our youth growing up being taught to wear condoms, um, don't get an STD or just you don't have sex. We're not informing the youth who's already rebellious and going to do whatever they're going to do. We're not equipping them well enough to deal with an STI diagnosis as a result of having sex, which is something that regardless they're going to do. And I don't have children. So obviously I'm not the best person to present the, the right solution, but I think that if we're taught this in childhood, we're already building a foundation of shame because we're like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then they're doing this secretly, discreetly, and uh, they're doing it uh, in a way that is uneducated. So some things are being done wrong. And then we become adults and we, we carry that with us. So we become diagnosed with herpes and there's that uh, sudden association with shame of, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done this. It's, it's it buyer's remorse, right? You, you don't ever think about this. The, uh, you don't ever think about STDs while you're having sex. No. Right? You're, in, you're in the moment. <laughs> right afterwards, you're, though, you're like, man, I hope, uh, uh, I hope uh, she doesn't get pregnant because I didn't wear this condom. Yep. And it's, it's always, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but you know, human sexuality, I mean, shame. The shame on herpes started, I think, even before, you know, uh, antiviral drugs were invented. Before 1982, before the conservative view really started to take over and take hold and say, you know, don't have sex because you're going to go to hell and all these other kind of archaic ideas. These are these are just basic ideas of trying to get children to make better decisions. But we we have lost that touch. And instead of being honest with children and saying, look, you know, we are human beings. We are sexual creatures. It's 
but we wouldn't be here. You know, go thank grandma because that's why you're here. You know, we don't like to think about grandma doing that, but hey, guess what? <laughs> We're all human beings, man. This is what happens. This is how we get here. So, so playing playing devil's advocate, you're telling me to tell my kids it's okay to have sex. No, no, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, well, you, yeah, see, that, that's definitely a devil's advocate. <laughs> well, and the reason that I say that is because I know that that's probably what's happened in generations before us where it's like maybe there was a point in time we're probably hitting an age where we're beginning to repeat a pattern of historic behavior where we recognize that shaming and fear and prevention is not working so now we're probably going to be hitting the reset button on what caused those things to come into existence in the first place so now we're trying to be more sex positive we think we should talk to our children more about sex and help them be prepared for the event where they contract an sci and then they go off in the generation they're like why did my mom and dad have to tell me about sex you know what i'm going to do things differently with my children and i'm going to make sure they don't have sex so there's yeah. there's and this goes back to me, you know, thinking outside of the binary way where it's like this is the whole spectrum of awareness. Uh, it's not don't have sex or if you have sex, this is how you should do it. Like it it, it stems down deeper to so much more than that, much more than we have time to get into and what my level of expertise will allow me to discuss. I, I, I would I would answer that by saying, you know. Right. You, you don't want to just tell your kids it's okay to have sex, but, you know, we have to be able to communicate with them and say, yes, you know, when you're old enough to understand what's going on, eventually you will get to a point where that is going to happen. You don't want to lie to kids. We all know do as I say, not as I do doesn't freaking work. It doesn't work. We all know this because we all end up being 20 something, 30 something year old looking back and saying, hey, that didn't work. So why would I tell my kids that? Well, it's easy. It's easy to do that. But guess what? It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So we need to be open and honest and say, look, yes, sex is normal. But there are risks involved. And you need to be aware of that. Yes, I want you to wear a condom. Yes, I want you to protect yourself. And yes, given the perfect circumstance, if you're going to be with somebody, that person should be tested first before you're with them. Now, that's not always something that's going to happen. We all know when we were 14, 15 years old, we're not thinking about that at the time. But but we're not thinking about it because we haven't been told to think about it. Exactly. So if you can open up that conversation with your kids and say, look, there's a lot of stuff that's going on out there, man. You know, people are having sex. We know. We Listen, we know about it, but you need to be smarter about it. And these are some things that can happen. I don't know that they're going to happen, but you need to be aware of them because if it does happen, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. So at least if you're planting seeds of education instead of seeds of shame, you're at least kids will kids will surprise you. They're they're a lot smarter than we think that they are. We we were the same way. If somebody actually spent the time to sit there with you as a child and say, look, here's some things that are going on. I get it, man. You want to do this, you want to do that, you feel like you're invincible, but I got to tell you, you're not. And I know this because I was there. So if you can relate to kids and you can tell them exactly what's going on, you at least give them a fighting chance instead of them just saying, screw it, I'm going to do whatever I want because you told me not to do it. Mm -hmm. That, That doesn't work. 
we need to have the conversation. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book a certain way, because I wanted to be able to relate to kids as well. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know, we can continue with that conversation and, and just get kids to be aware of it. They may not think about it at the same time, but eventually they're going to be like, hey, you know, I remember that person saying something to me and he wasn't yelling at me. He wasn't telling me this, that I'm a bad person. They were telling me something that was factual and it was just like, maybe this is something I need to think about. Yeah. And maybe this is something I need to consider. Yeah. Kids, kids will do that, but you got to give them the information. Yeah. And there's been information given to me as a young child that didn't hit me until I was in my late, mid, late twenties. Like, um, I watched a lot of superhero stuff because I was just drawn to it. I was drawn to the fighting, the lights, the shooting things out your hands and eyes. And, oh, here we are at age 29. X-Men was essentially about racism in America. And I was just I like, that too, yeah. I, I was I was watching an episode and it hit me um, because they introduced Nightcrawler, the blue guy who went lived in church and could teleport. And they had all these like marches and hate mutants, get out of here mutant signs and stuff like that. And I was like, oh really shit. Like this, this looks like what, um, <laughs> this looks like, this is what uh, the, the marches and stuff looked like. And the light bulbs went off. So, it goes back again to planting those seeds. So seeds were planted in me to understand, you know, this is the ugliness of racism. And this is these are two means of going about it. You know, there's equality for everyone or superiority to one. And it's just like that. That's kind of what we're looking to instill in children growing up is we want everybody to understand to bridge that gap of perspective so we've got martin luther king we've got malcolm x we've got magneto we've got professor xavier (laughs) the gap the 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 story was in the bridging of the gap where one person wanted to the other person didn't and i think that we all have to sort of side with professor xavier here in terms of dealing with herpes is like there has to be a level of understanding with all these different groups of people who can come together but choose not to or would rather it be my way or no way you're either with us or against us like we got to expand that perspective and being able to have this conversation with one another and put it out there for it's like a a a lighthouse for other people to just gonna say i love your lighthouse analogy because the lighthouse is always there yes it may be daytime and you may not need the lighthouse but nighttime comes around at least you know the lighthouse is there. Yeah, and that's what it's about, man. It's just about being there. So when the people who come across our conversation, they're like, oh, you know, I can see that or I can understand that. Or even if they disagree, like at least yeah. the conversation is being had. People are listening. People are engaging with one another about these kinds of topics. You're planting the seed, man. That's it's all it's really kind of. You're not going to change anything unless you start the conversation. Oh, yeah. And then the seeds just tend to water themselves. I mean, (laughs) it's always going to rain somewhere. It's just like herpes. It just keeps spreading. There you go. There you go. Um, Well, we're coming up on time here. Um, We touched on everything on my end that I wanted us to speak on. Is there anything else that you wanted to hit us with before I let you go? I'll probably think about it after we're done. (laughs) Of course. That's how it always works, right? (laughs) 
well, Rich, how can people find you? And um, what's the title of the book for us? Ah, the title of the book is Asking for a Friend. You can find that at askingforafriend.us. You can also find me on Facebook at Make Herpes Go Away, or you can just Google my name, Richard Mancuso. I am public on there. Um, there's lots of other things up there, too, as well. Cool. All right, man. Thanks for coming back to us. Um, I'm sure we'll hear from you again. So uh, thanks for your time. This concludes always. This concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People with Rich Mancuso, author of Asking for a Friend. Please continue to like, rate, share, review this podcast on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. Um, Check out the book, Asking for a Friend. You can get that at askingforafriend.us. And until next time, stay positive.